begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this wonderful Sunday. I'm happy to see all of you here today. I mentioned at the beginning of the service that we're in our second sermon in that, that sermon series entitled Resilient. Um, so today we want to talk specifically about um, how can we, in our relationships, uh, show maturity, show resilience, and ultimately let the light of Christ shine in how we speak, in how we treat people, uh, um, and really in every aspect. And so that's where we're going to head here today. Um, But I've got a picture for you. Does anyone know where or what this is? Some of you are well-traveled. I'll give you, I'm going to narrow it down for you. It's in the Pacific Northwest. It's in Canada. Okay, you're thinking like he's really not giving us much to go on. It's just a tree, right? Okay. This tree is is called uh, Lonely Doug. Did you know that? Yeah. No, this tree has a name. This is Lonely Doug. It is a Douglas fir tree. It is located on the island of Vancouver, Vancouver Island. Um, This is what is called a a coastal uh, Douglas fir tree. This gives you a little bit of, of sense of the size of that tree, right? Lonely Doug, there we go, that's how big it is. Can you guess why Lonely Doug got his name? Yeah, yeah, because it's the only tree that's there, right? Um, this, this Lonely Doug was kind of an anomaly on Vancouver Island. Um, they were clearing out, they were, they were logging, taking all the timber out, and for some reason, this single tree remained. And so it got the nickname Lonely Doug. And we can see why. Because trees are meant to be with other trees, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? And on some level, we understand that trees are meant to be in a forest. On some level, that is how God has made them. That is how God uh, propagates trees. That's where they're supposed to be. And so when you see lonely Doug, you feel a little bit bad for him, don't you? Right? Lonely Doug is going to be a little bit of an illustration for us today for a couple reasons. Number one, Doug is all by himself. He's isolated. And we know how difficult that can be when we feel those, uh, that level of isolation and relational isolation in our lives. So that's the first part. The second reason I picked Lonely Doug is uh, if you cut any tree down, you can learn all kinds of things about its history, right? So if you look at the rings, you can see when there were forest fires, you can see when there were drought, when there were floods. Um, A tree gives you an incredible history just by being able to look at the growth. Now, we don't want to cut Lonely Doug down, but I bet you it would show us all kinds of things that happened, right? And so there is a maturity that Lonely Doug has. And that's kind of where we're headed here today. Here's what I fear. I fear that within our world and within our culture, maturity, specifically in the area of relationships, is becoming more and more rare. That maturity in the face of of chaos and uncertainty and all the things that are thrown at us on any given day, on any given week in your lives, I fear that maturity in us 
and in the relationships that we are engaged in is becoming less and less frequent. Today, we want to ask ourselves, how can we as believers have mature relationships? And not in isolation, right? Because a relationship has to have more than one. You can't just be lonely Doug, right? Relationships are meant to have people around them. The very same thing is true for us as human beings and especially as believers. God has created you, has created us for community and for relationships. Today, Jesus has some incredible words for us on how we can strengthen those relationships and ultimately point others in our world to Christ and to forgiveness. And so that's where we're going to head today. Lonely Doug is going to be our mascot when we talk about relational maturity uh, within our lives, our families, our communities, uh, and in our workplaces. But for a moment, I want you to think, and you're even welcome to write it down, but I want you to think of the longest lasting and most mature relationship that you have ever had in your life, okay? Now, some of you are maybe blessed and you say, well, I have a, I have a laundry list of those, right? But for our sake today, I just want you to think of one, okay? And, and make it, and I want it, to be pra- I want it to be a person, right? I want a face in front of, in your mind, right? Uh, you can write their name down. I, I want you to pick one person that you would say, this is the longest lasting, most mature relationship that I have ever had in my life. Are names and faces going through your mind? Okay. Maybe it's a spouse, right? Maybe it's someone that you've been married to for a very, very long time. Maybe it's a, it's a, it's a, um, a sibling. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a childhood friend that you still have. Right? But my guess is each and every one of you can maybe find one that is a long-lasting, mature relationship. Okay? Solidify it in your mind, put a pin in it, and we're going to come back to it at the end of our sermon today, okay? Okay. So, let's jump into our text. I'm going to start just with the very first verse of our text. It's just actually a half phrase. Jesus says, see that, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. So, um, this in a sense is kind of setting up what we're going to talk about. I would say, uh, um, um, we're going to talk about things that are mature, that have depth, right? We're going to talk about what God asks of us uh, in our speech, in our behavior, in how we treat the people around us. But here's what's really wonderful about our text today. This is how Jesus starts it out. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Um, More kids at children's lesson than I had rocks for, right? Little Elodie at baptism. What point is Jesus getting at when he follows with all kinds of adult conversations, mature conversations? Well, it's that there is maturity and immaturity, right? And that it is incumbent on those who are mature to do what is right, to model, to stand up for, and to lead those that are younger, right? And so that's really kind of the interesting thing As Jesus starts out this portion of Scripture, he's reminding us that there are children that are watching. 
Maybe you have kids. Maybe you have grandkids. Maybe you see all these kids up here. Guess what they are? What they are? They are living sponges. No pressure. Right? But they watch and they listen and they, they look at you and they, they see how you react to one another and they listen to the words and how you treat and how spouses treat one another and, and how you, you treat strangers on the street. And they, they, they are living sponges. They are absorbing everything. Right? And I think we know that with our kids and grandkids. And so when Jesus starts out and when we start out this topic of how can we have mature relationships, ultimately, it's so that we can lead by example for the kids that are coming after us, whether it's our children or grandchildren or the next generation. Now, that maybe you think is a little bit self-evident. But I would argue that that seems to be culturally becoming less and less self-evident. I know we have some teachers in our congregation here today, okay? Elementary school teachers. I, was, uh, um, I got to participate at my kids' uh, school, public charter school right behind us over here, and I would talk to some of the teachers, and they said uh, um, the biggest job, the biggest issue wasn't just teaching kids what they needed to know, reading, writing, and arithmetic, but on some level it was teaching them how to even relate to one another how to resolve disagreements. In fact, I think many teachers are saying that's probably the biggest job that they have. It's not math, it's not reading, it's not writing. It's just teaching kids how to react and deal with conflict with one another. I think what's true in our schools for our teachers is probably true in our world as well. Uh, I read an article this last week that said something to the effect of that we have, we, uh, have lost the ability uh, to disagree without being disagreeable, right? right? So we've lost the ability to disagree without being disagreeable. That, that so often within our world and, and within me, within us, that we are, are quick to disagree and, and, and treat people that way. Right? Uh, and turn it into, into almost a, a war and a battle. So, for us as believers, when we talk about mature relationships, I think it's absolutely appropriate. And in fact, I'd make the argument that your relationships, how you treat one another, how you treat the people around you, will be the greatest opportunity for you to share Christ uh, in, in your entire life. Not how good you are at a job, not how great you are at sports, not how, how well-behaved your kids are or any of those things, but I would argue that how we speak, how we treat one another, and your relationships quite possibly is the, the greatest witnessing and evangelism opportunity you have because it's becoming so rare. So that's why we want to talk about it. That's why Jesus actually leads his disciples, and he leads us towards maturity in how we treat one another. Why are we doing it? Because they're watching. Because they need us to. Right? So, let's jump into our text. I've got three kind of uh, points that we're going to look at today. Um, three areas that I would argue uh, are signs of relational maturity. Okay? Not 
all, not all the signs, but at least these three, I think, are big ones, especially drawn specifically from our text. Uh, so number one, uh, uh, mature relationships or a mature person is able to apply principles, right? Not simply throw out uh, um, checklists to be crossed off, but applies principles. Number two, understands sin, both in ourselves and in the world around us. And number three, stands on grace. So those are the three things we're going to draw from our text here today. When we talk about um, if we desire to have mature relationships, mature Christian relationships, I think these are the three that, that Jesus urges us towards. So you're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. Um, our first, actually, uh, um, um, quote is going to back up a little bit. So our text today is from Matthew 18. But what's interesting is Jesus is addressing uh, maturity in our relationships and how we speak and how we treat one another. But it's actually not the first time that he's talked through that. And so you sometimes think about Jesus teaching his disciples from uh, having pulled many of them off, off of the Sea of Galilee or as tax collectors and then guiding them to be the foundation of the early Christian church. He had let that and encouraged that maturation process throughout their ministry with him. And so this isn't the first time Jesus has talked about and in a sense, um, guided his disciples toward mature relationships. If we back up in actually uh, chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, Jesus says this. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly and remove the speck from your brother's eye. So now what's the point? What is Jesus getting at when he says that to his disciples? I think the first point is, understand that everyone sins. Right? The depth of sin, right? And it is far easier to find sin in other people than it is in ourselves. And you've maybe found that. Right? How easy it is to, to point out sin in a spouse, in a family member, in a neighbor, and yet how we tend to not be able to find it in ourselves. I'll put it this way. Um, we have a, a really good knack of maximizing sin that we see in others and minimizing the sin that we ourselves commit. Right? We're really good at it. And the trouble with that is, if we let that run rampant, what it does is it destroys relationships because here's what it does. Number one, it, 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 it kind of falsely places us in a position of superiority, right? Once we're there, it's very easy to write off what somebody else does, right? How could they? How could they say those words to me? How in the world would they act like that? Because I, I never would. And of course, I never have. Right? And so you see what happens. We maximize the sin in others. And we minimize it in ourselves. And we say, uh, um, the sin that you committed, the words that you spoke, the mistake that you made, not only is it a sin, not only is it wrong, not only do I not like it, but actually, you know what? I think it actually might be a character trait. I think that's who you are <laughs> at your core. Because you wouldn't have said that. You wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have acted like that if that isn't who you were at your core. But again, here's the fascinating part. When we sin, no. 
It's not part of my character. It was out of so- I was out of sorts, right? My sin, my mistakes, ah, you know, it's not, I was just really tired. Like I'd been driving all night long. I was exhausted. It was just a misstep. I just, I just accidentally reacted, right? But it's not who I am. It's not at my core. It's not my character. See, I think we all do that, don't we? And I think there's danger in that. Maximizing what we see in others, minimizing what we see in ourselves. Jesus' remedy? Look inward first, right? Ask of ourselves, what have we done? What, how, how have I offended? What words have I used? How have I treated the people around me? What sins have I committed that are not only offensive to the people I claim to love, but also offensive to my God above? And so Jesus says, look at the plank in your own eye rather than the speck in another. Okay. Maturity is able to look inward. But let's jump into our text. Um, Right here. There we go. Verse 15. Then Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Interesting steps that Jesus gives, right? Now, a couple things we draw from this. Number one, uh, Jesus is not saying that we pretend that Sin does not exist. In fact, when we read from chapter 7, he says, the first place, don't pretend it doesn't exist in you. (laughs) That we make mistakes, that we are, uh, at times we, we hurt and we lash out. It is a reality in us. But Jesus also would say, don't pretend that it doesn't exist in your brothers and sisters and in the people around you. And so maturity is able to say there is right and there is wrong. And we are able to stand on Truth, but notice what Jesus says. He says, go talk to that person just between the two of you. Imagine, right? You want to know what's a lot easier? Not talking to him at all. You want to know what's even easier than that? Putting something on the internet, right? It's true, isn't it? We sometimes wonder how in the world um, our relationships within our world, within our culture of which we are a part are disintegrating far and it's away uh, far and away it's because we refuse to do that to just go talk to someone to listen to them to understand if you have sinned to confess your sin to them like just to go one-on-one to someone rather than blasting them on the internet or talking to all kinds of people that are in their circle rather than that person directly What does Jesus tell his disciples and us? What example does he give of what a mature relationship does? It actually talks to the person one-on-one. Have you ever heard that phrase, people are a lot harder to hate close up? There's truth to that, isn't there? When we talk to people one-on-one, close up, with a level of intimacy. The vast majority of our disagreements um, are are resolved. And in the places where there remains disagreement, at least we understand this is a person that is dearly loved by our God and Father above. 
and you leave with a degree of respect, okay? So, but then Jesus goes on. Verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Okay? Some translations, it's 70 times seven. What's Jesus' point here? Forgiveness is a part of who we are as believers. And so, what do mature relationships look like in the life of a believer? I think Jesus has given us three pretty good examples. Number one, understanding sin within ourselves. Number two, being willing to talk to that person one-on-one, right? To try to understand, most importantly, to, to listen. And lastly, that we're willing to forgive. And in fact, we're quick to forgive. Not hold grudges, not punish, not gossip behind our backs, not tear down, but to forgive and to restore. That is what a mature relationship looks like. Would you all like to have those in your lives? Yeah, we all, we all would. I hope everyone would say, yes, that would be nice, right? right? We have the opportunity, you have the opportunity to be that. And what powers it? There's Lonely Doug. I didn't tell you the whole story from Lonely Doug because you might have been wondering why Doug got so lonely. As the story goes, there was a logger. Uh, this was in 2011 that came through and he saw Doug and uh, he's a coastal fur. So uh, coastal furs, from what I know, uh, grow much larger and bigger. And he saw Doug and he came and he knew that the logging crew was going to be coming through and no one is really sure why this guy did that, but he wrapped a ribbon around Lonely Doug and wrote on the ribbon, do not log, do not log, do not log. Why was Lonely Doug saved? We're not exactly sure, right? But maybe it's a good illustration for us. We do know why we are saved and what motivates our mature relationships Romans 5.8 actually tells us. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Why would we strive toward maturity within our lives as believers? It's that. It's because of Christ. Right? It's because at some point... God wrapped a ribbon around our hearts, whether it was in baptism or having heard of Christ as our Lord and Savior and said, that one, right? In fact, Christ on some level wrapped a ribbon around the entire world when he outstretched his arms on the cross to make sure that our sins were forgiven. And so we have the opportunity to be mature because we know what we have. You know what you have. Sins forgiven by your Lord and Savior above. Restoration by your God above. And I don't think we probably have to, to, to talk extensively about how often our God above forgives us on any given day. I don't have to, to think very deeply to understand that do I go an hour or two without sinning against my God above. And yet, every single time, we are forgiven. Christ's blood washes us clean. Right? Eternity is ours, is yours because of Jesus. And so what empowers our mature relationships? Christ does. 
and how he treated his disciples, how he lived his life, and how he sacrificially gave up his life for you and I. That's what maturity looks like. And here's the opportunity, I think, for us in our lives. This was our first reading from Colossians chapter 4. Paul says this, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We will not be perfect in our relationships with one another, but we strive toward maturity. And the opportunity that brings, the Apostle Paul tells us, as you treat people as you would like to be treated, as you treat your relationships and those around you in a mature way, in a loving way, in a way that stands on Christ and for Christ, you have opportunities to point people to him. Those become our witnessing opportunities. And so I don't think it's hyperbole to say that living in a mature way in our world of uncertainty is going to shine an incredible light, not only on who you are, but most importantly on Christ as your Lord and Savior. Okay. Do you have the person? The longest, most mature relationship that you've had in your life? Okay, everybody picked one out. Now think a little bit, why? Why? Why, why is that relationship weathered things? Why is that relationship so mature? Why did that relationship carry you through to this point? I think it's a good question for us to ask, isn't it? Because I think it's something that we would love to be able to replicate. Imagine if all of our relationships could have that level of maturity, that level of depth, what created that relationship and sustained it, I think actually probably has some, some, some reasonable steps to it. My guess is that almost all of these things were present. To be able to have a relationship that you would label as mature, to be able to have a relationship that was able to last any length of time, my guess is that it had to involve almost all these things. A level of introspection, understanding that we are sinful, that those that even love us at times act sinfully, right? I think there's a level of humility that comes with that, right? Not maximizing the sin in other and minimizing in ourselves, but understanding with sober judgment who we are. If we talk about motivation, why do we persist and love? It's because Christ persisted and loved us. There's a degree of accountability. Love does what's best. Love doesn't just let anything go, but love does what's best. Love guides. Love cares. Love cares enough at times to even speak, right? It also forgives. Willing to grant forgiveness rather than hold grudges. Willing to ask for forgiveness when we've hurt and when we've sinned. And the last one, it restores and it becomes stronger, and it becomes more whole, and in fact, it finds greater depth than it did even before the injury had occurred. 
Can you see those things in that relationship that I asked you to think about? I bet you they're there, right? I bet you they're there. Because this is what a mature relationship looks like. This is what mature relationships offer to us. A depth of love, uh, um, a restoration of, of relationships, right? And an ability to move forward. As we go into our lives, as you go into your life, I think we have an opportunity to live as mature believers, to be resilient in the face of pain and struggle and chaos and uncertainty in the world around us. Christ empowers us. We've got guidance on how to do it. Now let's live our lives in glory to him. Amen.